Oh man, welcome, 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 welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am F.P. Wellman, the guy you've been looking for, or may not looking for. Really exciting week. We are now on the Midas Touch Network. If you're just discovering us for the first time, I talk fast. I know you're going to complain about that, but it is what it is. Matt, the producer's back there. He tries to slow me down. Never works. We got hand signals. Doesn't work. But nonetheless, thank you for being here. We got a great guest on today. We're going to talk about some really cool stuff. We got a great group of, uh, of broadcasts. We've joined now on the Minus Touch Network. I've known the Mysels Brothers for about three years in this fight for our democracy. I'm so humbled to be a part of the network and, and, and tell our story to a larger audience. So thank you for being here. Let's just get on with the show. All right. Welcome again. As mentioned previously, I am Fred Wellman. This is On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. You know, this is a show, if you're new to it, we, we talk to really smart, cool people about the state of our democracy, uh, the threats to our democracy, the things going on today. And, and, and I always try to find guests who have got a unique perspective on the issues we're facing at the minute, uh, in, the, in the recent times, and the political actions around those. So I hope you learn something every time we talk. This week, there's no question we're going to. I've got a great guest. I managed to score a, a guy who knows the intelligence committee. If you remember last week, we talked to Dennis Aftergut, a former federal prosecutor from San Francisco. We spent a great discussion about the state of our judiciary. Uh, he was actually optimistic. He gave us the pearl of wisdom from the Stockdale paradox about, you know, you should face the brutal facts, but have unwavering faith. Uh, and that's the new one that we'll be using a lot here on the show. <laughs> uh, poor Matt's going to hear it a lot. So I'm really excited to have somebody who uh, the perfect timing always as we look at the leaks of these classified information that we just heard about and some other issues going on in our country. So I'm thrilled to have John Seifer. Uh, he's a former Central Intelligence Agency officer, non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center and the co-founder of Spycraft Entertainment. It's a production firm providing content and talent in the entertainment industry, foreign policy, intelligence, NAT security, all of these things an expert. And <laughs> 2014, John retired from a 28-year career at the Central Intelligence, Central Intelligence Agency's National Clandestine Service. So easy to say. <laughs> at the time of his retirement, he was a member of the CIA Senior Intelligence Service, leadership team that guides CIA activities globally. He is the recipient of the Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal. John, welcome to the show. I don't think I've seen you. I think you and I hung out on Zoom when we were with the Lincoln Project as senior advisors during the campaign a couple of times. So it's been a couple of three years. It's great to see you. Great to have you on the show, man. Welcome to On Democracy, man. <laughs> Nice to be here. You got a fancier studio, so right good for you. I don't know. You I got like the it. books, bro. It looks looks badass too. So you got to have. I got to bring more swag in from the army. I, people always come. I got more Star Wars stuff than army stuff. But you know, whatever. <laughs> I've been out for a while. Yeah, we move on. We change. And we, <laughs> That's and it. Things. It's interesting you talk about the Stockdale paradox. We in the agency we used to have a thing called a leadership seminar where we'd have to take people offline for a couple of weeks and teach. And we would often talk about that book, Good to Great. Yep. And and in there that talks about the Stockdale paradox and. Yep. Stockdale, who is a you know prisoner of war in, in Vietnam, and, and of honor. that's it's, it's, it's an important lesson, important way to think about things. Is you know you got to deal with the brutal facts. You face that first, and then you figure out where to move from then. Right, and, and it was we, such we, a we tend to fool ourselves a lot these days. And I know when I follow you on Twitter and and other people, it's frustrating to see how much sort of 
silliness is there where people right. aren't dealing with what's in front of their faces. This is where we are, right? And and and, and there's a, people want to live in a bubble and not face these facts. And and uh, and and the thing that gets you in trouble. I did this as a spokesman in Iraq, right? As you know, I, I would every now and then we get a, a positive news story. Oh, we did this great thing, and I'd say, yeah, but the facts aren't right. And people are like, yeah, but it's a good news story. I said, yeah, but when it comes out that the facts aren't right, we're still going to get blamed, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so you know, we got to face the brutal facts. It wasn't that wasn't what happened, and so uh, it was a great framework. You know, I think I told you in the prep that uh, I always start the show off uh, for those who are new to it too, as a, um, you know, we get such interesting guests who've had a unique journey to this moment, and and you are are one of those. You were a, a CIA agent. I, I love when I was reading your bio. You and I, I think entered service just about the same time. I think you in '86. I got commissioned to the Army in '87, so we're about the same age. We're both falling apart. I understand. <laughs> You know, <laughs> we're both full of fake joints at this point, which is fine. It's fine. A new hip. Congratulations. I love it. I got the knees. I love my knees. So here we are. One, one fake knee. I'll get the other one soon enough. <laughs> well, you know, we're more machine than man at this point. Two old fuckers. Here we are. <laughs> you know, and I was laughing because I was looking at your bio on Twitter and you you just mentioned that Glenn Greenwald just called you the left's favorite CIA dude. <laughs> you know, so obviously your bio doesn't doesn't necessarily point to where you are today. I mean, what was the journey? left left you from the CIA to now that place where you're with the Atlantic Council you're you're an outspoken voice um, from a progressive viewpoint on national security issues what got you to this moment John <laughs> like so many journeys it wasn't one I intended or right you know sort of backed backed into you know I had no intention of having any sort of public role yeah um, I left the agency in 2014 I started doing some consulting work for Stan McChrystal's group that does works with companies and yep. that type of thing. And it wasn't really until sort of, you know, Trump and Trumpism, he started to run and speak and especially yep. dealing with the Russia stuff. Cause I had spent time, I served in Moscow. I worked on, you know, in worldwide Russia programs against the, the KGB types and all of that type of thing on counterintelligence and counterespionage and, and a variety of things. And so when I saw some of the things that were out there and it was happening, you know, especially you know, early on when they, you know, there was all this talk about the steel dossier yeah. and what does it mean and what is, what might the Russians trying to be doing? Are they interfering in our elections? Are they not? Is it that I, I felt like, you know, I had something to offer because I'd been working on Russian intelligence issues for almost 30 years. And yeah. so you know, I started to write some and I would write some op-eds for the times and post in Atlantic and other places and, and speak a little bit on TV don't really like it and <laughs> i and, and I'll, i will do it now like in the beginning of the of the uh invasion in ukraine you know to help try to provide context or right. historical picture I'll, I'll talk but i'm not really hawking anything or it doesn't really benefit me to be on <laughs> tv that much and so i, I sort of have been staying away of late so so yeah i sort of ended up with some sort of weird you know public role yeah you know, in the agency, I'd never had any social media whatsoever. I wasn't right. on anything. It just wasn't part of our work. I lived overseas for most of my career. And then a couple of years ago, about again, around the time of Trump, I got onto Twitter and these other kind of things. And it just sort of becomes, you know, <laughs> yeah. addicted and you start talking and people come after you. And Glenn Greenwald and a lot of sort of the pro-Russia people yeah. and the pro-Trump people come after you. And then, you know, sometimes as you comment on things, some of the people from the fringe on the left also are, can be also pretty nasty and come after you too. And so, you know, I don't want to shy away from that. It's not my main role in life. I'm happily retired from the federal government. I have a company trying to make, you know, spy movies and yeah. TV shows and, and I spend my time doing that type of thing. But, uh, you know, 
I will comment on things if I feel I have a value to add. And and like you, I think one of the sort of animating pieces has been, you know, politicians throughout time memoriam have often, you know, said silly things to push themselves or to, to, to go against their opponents. But one of the things that's happened in our country lately is they have disparaged our institutions as part of that. Right. And having worked, you know, in the national security space, in the Central Intelligence Agency, with the State Department, with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, with the Department of Defense, all these type of things, to see politicians essentially weakening them and destroying them and smearing them for the public, mm. um, I think that's very dangerous. You know, there's very dedicated and smart public servants working day in and day out to keep Americans safe and to follow the rule of law and to follow regulations and do things you know ethically and take their job very seriously with with oversight and try to support you know american citizens to see that treated as if you know it's all part of a partisan game and and it's all free for all i think that's very dangerous for us yep. and so I, I know that that's important to you too and that's something that sort of has animated me to have some sort of Public role, if you will. And that's what we talk about a lot here. You know, last week Dennis Africa put it very well. It says the 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 the, the mission of Trumpism is like acid eroding our institutions. That 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 Trumpism in itself and the MAGA movement, and now the, there's no way to deny the entire Republican Party, as you see the antics of the House GOP, is truly designed in many ways to undermine the institutions. And we've seen it in the judiciary. We've seen it in every aspect. We talked last week quite a bit about the Hatch Act being a complete fucking shit show now that they don't nobody cares about right <laughs> you know and and so here we are and as you and i were getting ready as i was getting for the show i looking at that's an exact issue when we look at there's so many examples right now of attacks on the intelligence community and and, and i was talking about the extremism and I'll, I'll cut to that in a second is you know the intelligence has been very much politicized right we we see that i mean i thought we saw a lot of her 9-11 you and i are both serving di- during the 9-11 period uh, i know it must have been a real shit show for your side and the cia side but from my side, we, we saw the politicization that there wasn't enough intelligence you know, shared or et cetera, et cetera. But now we're seeing truly um, Republicans especially attacking our intelligence community, um, using it against us, um, manipulating the results. Uh, a good example, I know you're, I'm sure you're familiar with a few years ago, didn't the FBI came up with a, THS came up with a report about the increasing extremism from the right, which outcry from the right killed and now we're seeing more and more of this right which takes us to a touch let's go right to that the leaks which is why we're you know okay so this kid jack texera i guess his name i'm i'm so bad with names um jack as don, Ju- don jr jack because Teixeira, there was a Teixeira who was the first ah, baseman for the yankees there you go thank you so much because i'm a hot mess matt just shakes his head back here yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, you're so unprepared um but you know jack as don jr calls him you know this young man he's 21 year old national guardsman uh is working in in, in massachusetts and decides to start sneaking out classified documents and sharing with his buddies online um i think i think just for our guests, you know, our viewers who may not be familiar with our world, be it military and intelligence, I did spend a short stint as an intelligence officer in an Apache battalion back in the day. I think the big question a lot of people ask, maybe you can help frame it for us, is how did a 21-year-old National Guardsman have access to top secret information like this, print it out, stuff it in his pocket, and take it home and, not, and go undetected? But let's start at the very beginning. How the hell does a 21-year-old National Guardsman have access to this crap? Yeah, it's it, you know there's there's a lot of context that goes behind that. I mean, we have a massive national security apparatus, yeah, uh, 
professionalized, as you know, there's you know, we have diplomats and intelligence officers and military officers around the world doing their job day in and day out. Yep. And that is buttressed by both overt and secret information. And so the intelligence community's job is to collect information that an administration or warfighters or whoever need that information to do their job. And so if we can't get that information overtly, we try to use technical means, spies, what have you, to either steal or collect that information and use it. And so, you know, the, the, the CIA and the intelligence community collects information. That information is in the form of intelligence reports. Some are more sensitive than others and classified in different areas. And then they're sent to the places that need them, whether our diplomats overseas, ambassadors, our negotiators, our warfighters, generals, admirals, what have you. Now, the military is interesting. They sort of they they run things in a different way, and so for senior military officials, you know they you know they what they what they often do is they have people who work for them who pull together the intelligence that they need, so they can get sort of a daily brief or a, or a piece of paper that sort of over right. gives a variety of you know overseas things of what's happening in these different places. Um, and you, it totally makes sense. You can imagine after 9-11, like you said, there's a lot of people who talked about, hey, maybe we weren't sharing enough intelligence. Right. Maybe the people who had this sensitive stuff you know, didn't weren't giving it to the right people. And in some sense, it's sort of gone too far the other direction in the sense that you know, people who don't necessarily need to see information about what's happening in Israel or Egypt or China are getting this review every day with all of this stuff on it. And so in the military, there's something that's very different. And this is me being a little snarky from my period working in the intelligence committee. <laughs> what? The military, mil senior military officers, they want junior people to process that stuff right. and, and, and get it to them in PowerPoints or in official reports and that we love type our of PowerPoint. thing. We do love and our PowerPoint. The military does for warfighting purposes, you know, hire people out of high school and train them to be military officers and airmen and all these other kind of things. And then often use those people to sort of put together sort of briefings and things for them. So in this case, this young airman who worked for the Air Force, part of his job was to put together these intelligence reports to share with the J-2, which is the part of the military that, that does intelligence. Right. Now, we in the intelligence community... And in the diplomatic community, the State Department, if you have, if you're working on, say, Russia and Ukraine issues, you then have you need information that, that relates to those issues. Now, what's, yeah. what's hard for us in the intelligence community to say is this information that got leaked was, you know, pieces of paper with intelligence on Ukraine order of battle, on what's happening in Russia, on efforts by the U.S. government to listen in on the United Nations General Secretary, on what the South Koreans. We're up to what was happening in Israel, Israeli politics and riots, and was what was Egyptian doing in terms of supporting Russia. So there was this wide variety of things, and so from the intelligence community perspective, you're like, you know, we in the intelligence community and the diplomatic community don't hire high school kids to put together that stuff for us. Yeah, we essentially get the information we need for our thing. The military has gone too far. Yes. Senior military officers need a variety of intelligence to do their job, but they don't necessarily have to have to, to rely on these especially, especially young people yeah. putting together such a wide variety of things so that if, in fact, it's stolen or leaked, it has sort of this global impact. Yeah. And I, and we saw it. I, I, I spent the latter part of my career in the military as a staff officer for senior generals, um, pretty much all I did for the last 
eight years after after OF one <laughs> after Iraq one yeah that's all apparently did and and you're right it it, it is uh, and there and there's this hunger for information from some of them that is well beyond their scope but you're right it's not just them that's they're not the problem it's the people who touch all that information to get it to them and that's where this young man fell in now what's interesting about this story as we as it developed was and then afterwards is and this young man clearly has very right wing beliefs he is uh, you know I love that the first story said he was a gun enthusiast this is how they described it gun enthusiast oh okay that totally fucking clarifies things gun enthusiast. <laughs> He was like that. Uh, and his entire fucking he was sharing racist memes he was he was pro russia but the the news some of the media first went with gun enthusiasts like well fuck that the gun enthusiast is definitely why he did it no maybe he's a fucking traitor no i can you know but anyway uh but what's really shocking and, and it got because of the leak it got even a little less noticed was there a story came out last week too where a former navy non-commissioned officer uh woman uh a 37 year old woman um uh, is the face behind a pro-Putin, pro-Russia social media network. So now we've got two examples of service members or former service members, recent, recent former service members, who are acting on behalf in many ways of the Russia and then the pro-Russia, you know, as you as a career intelligence officer and as a national security professional, I mean, does this give you pause and should we be extremely concerned? And is the DOD, there's a lot of questions here. So I'm going to give you 19 questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, good thing I know what I'm doing. Uh, but let's start with the top. Holy shit. Should we be worried that we've got folks who are, uh, you know, horny for Russia coming out of the ranks of the military right now? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we have a, you know, we have, a, again, an S security apparatus that's just massive. Right. And for the most part, it's professional and serious and, and, and does its, jo its job to protect American citizens. But if you have, you know, a process that over a million people have access to classified information, you're going to have some bad actors, you know, right. just like in business, there's going to be a certain amount of people who steal money. And in, you know, whatever else you work in, there's always going to be some Now, that, you know, I think our national security and our public service do a better job of sort of policing and trying to make sure that and, you know, filling ethics reports and oversight and this type of thing. But it sometimes happened. We've seen Bradley Manning steal 75,000 documents when he was working as a, in, in the army in, in yep. Iraq. And we saw Snowden steal 2 million or more yep. classified documents from the NSA when he was working there, you know, which should have been protected in a much better way. And, and we've had spies inside our own midst, Alder James in the CIA and Robert Hansen, the FBI steal things. So it's a difficult process. It's probably more difficult in some ways for the military because the military does recruit across a much wider swath of the of the U.S. population. Um, it hires younger people, but just by its very nature, you know, if you're an army officer, like you're, you're going to have people who work for you, some who are who've been around a long time and have learned, some have gone to college, some who haven't, some who are out of high school, some are. And so they, the military has a much bigger issue of managing this population of people, some who they get into trouble and they smash cars and they go to jail. Like there's just, it's it's a, it's a huge organization, right. which is very, very hard to manage. And to their credit, they do generally an excellent job, but you're going to have a lot, if, you, if you're hiring kids right out of high school from all over, country you're gonna and and put them into difficult situations you're gonna have a very difficult time sometimes and we're gonna see some bad actors spring from that so this woman you're talking about she she was a naval official somewhere out in the west coast and we probably would never have heard of her but she was running this yeah. telegram channel and telegram is another one of these social media sort of channels that's very popular in russia yeah 
um, claiming to be a Russian woman, uh, Donbas Devushka. Devushka yeah. means young girl in Russian, and Donbas is that part of Eastern Ukraine where the war is going on. Yep. And she was spouting very pro-Russian things, you know, pushing this you know horrible beheading in, uh, yeah. video of, of Ukrainians being killed. And, th- and probably she would still be doing it today, except for the fact that she ended up getting some of these classified documents herself. Yep. And actually, either she or the Russians or somebody were were fiddling with them and changing some of the information on them to make it look like this classified U.S. government uh, report was saying something that was more pro-Russian or more anti-Ukrainian right. than it in fact did. Um, and as people picked up on that, they stayed looked into it and turned out this Russian woman was no Russian woman at all. She was a former naval person working out of Seattle or whatever it is, the West Coast. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it, it was sort of just a, you know, a, a bad actor. And that's part of the problem today is if you're, if you have bad intentions, you can just find, find a community online that most of us won't yeah. see and sort of spread that information. So it's, it's a hard problem. I'll, I'll give you that. And, you know, because of our first amendment rights and, and our, our, civil rights here in the, in the United States, it isn't like we have a means or the FBI or anybody is sort of tracking these yeah. things. They can't online. That's just not how our system works. And so we're sort of vulnerable, uniquely vulnerable to this stuff. And foreign bad actors, the Chinese and Russians and Iranians and others have figured this out and they understand that they can, it's a weakness of ours and they can exploit, push, amplify, support, push false information, disinformation, use these people for their own benefit. And it ends up just, you know, hurting our political, you know, dialogue. Right. And do you think, <clears throat> I mean, more should be done. I mean, do you, do you think that the DOD is doing enough or our, our intelligence community is doing enough to do that? As you said, there is a first amendment, right. But what, for example, another example this week that is horrifying to me is this former soldier is the Sergeant in Texas who was just convicted of murdering the black lives matter protester. And he had been tweeting and, and posting on social media horribly racist things long before he grabbed a gun and drove an Uber into the middle of an attack, a, a protest in 2020. And no one apparently caught that, that he was still yeah. a sergeant in good standing. It feels like in many ways that, again, circling back to something we said earlier about the politics, that because of the pressure from the, and I will say it, the Republicans, the Republicans are pushing so much pressure on the military. Anytime they talk about wokeness, right, it, it, it almost feels like there's a fear within the military and the intelligence community to suss out these right wing bad actors. And, and, and we're paying a price for it now because now it's gone beyond just having some racist thoughts to conspire, conspiring with our enemies. Right. I mean, um, is, is it enough being done or it, it, do you think it's that's the case? Do you think the politics of this is pressuring them to not do more and. And, and how do we fight that? That's a, it's a hard question. I, and I'm not sure that politics is making it worse, but it's certainly not making it better. And it, okay. and it probably is. You know, when I went to work for the Central Intelligence Agency, I, it was made it clear that I signed over some basic rights. Like right. I let it be known that the U.S. government could track every everything I did online for work, everything I had to put in. You know, all money I spent, fill out ethic things. I had to, you know, submit to polygraphs. I had to submit to background investigations. I had to report contacts with people. Um, essentially, I did give up some basic rights because I had the privilege of 
having very sensitive information that protected American citizens and could be damaging to America if it wasn't handled right. And so I do think perhaps the military can find a way. If, if you sign up to be to work for the United States military, in a certain sense, you're, you should be signing up to, to be to be monitored, you know, as an, as a citizen, like you and I who are out now, the FBI should have some reasonable cause or obviously or anything to, to, to monitor our communications or what have you, we, they should have some a criminal predicate for that. But if you're inside the, the military, they should be able to, you know, track what you're doing online. They should be able to know what you're up to. They should be able to see if you're, you know, during the day you're on other chat things talking about sort of, I don't know, you know these right wing or left wing yeah. sort of activities that are, that are are beyond the pale. And yeah. um, you know, I think we often we're we're Americans, so we often look for sort of easy technical solutions. And so we'll probably go out and find some Beltway Bandit and hire some software and say, well, that'll <laughs> it'll tell us if someone is if people are operating well, this way we'll and that, that way. But, but nothing really, nothing really substitutes for just good leadership for people right. paying attention to the people under their command, knowing them, understanding them, listening to them uh, and, you know, making sure what they're up to. And it probably has been made harder by COVID when, you know, people are so often away from each other and not around each other as, as much yeah. and get up to things. Well, I do have fear. I mean, we know that so many of, uh, and of course you're not military, you're intelligence community, but on the, on the military side, there's so many veterans that participate in January 6th, for example, a huge number of veterans, a huge number of people from our national security world um, that participated in those events and continue to participate in events on the right. Uh, my God, of, 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 I mean, I, mean, I don't know if no, people know, an actual active duty major in the United States Marine Corps from Quantico held the door and pushed a cop back. I mean, a, a serving field grade officer of the United States Marine Corps um, participated in essentially insurrection. Uh, it's shocking to see so many people from our world, and we do see it in the intelligence side. I, I know people from from your world who I know from past lives who have now gone over to that very dark world. Um, I mean, I, it does give you pause when you see some of your peers who have sort of gotten lost in that world, and 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 does that make it harder for us to fight back against this fascist movement? It's a great question, and I think all Americans see it. You know, relatives or what have you have seen to to have been given given the ability yeah. sort of to, to think these sort of crazy things. And yeah. I mean, people want simple narratives. Um, you know, people want their instincts to be sort of pushed forward. And I mean, and in a certain sense, you want to hire people for law enforcement or for the military who are, you know who are more conservative in nature, you know, right. these words sort of have become meaningless conservative <laughs> exactly. or whatever, but, yeah. but, um, you know, so, and, and they're maybe more prone to, to go over, over a li- the line. Um, it's, it's a real problem. I, you know, people should have a sense of, of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, especially if you have been given the great, great, right and privilege to to work for your country yeah you know if you want to engage in political activity that's fine but you shouldn't do it from inside you know our our agencies and you should have enough common sense civic pride knowledge of history and knowledge of our specialness as a country that you should protect the country and, and understand the dangers of some of this kind of activity Right. Yeah, I don't have a great answer. None of if we did, we'd 
yeah. maybe be <laughs> in a better place. <laughs> we wouldn't be here, and it doesn't make people feel better. I'm sorry, folks, if you're listening to the show and you expect it to feel better. <laughs> uh, you're fucked. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, it's not great. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I said something a lot during that those events, and if you look at, I, I use two people as an example, Brian Sicknick, who died, and Ashley Babbitt, who died. And both of them were Air Force veterans, right? And they're on different sides of that divide that day of the battle lines. And I say often to people who are not from our world, both of them thought that they were supporting their oath to the Constitution that day. And, and that's, I think, how insidious the propaganda, if you will, and the talking points of the right, especially, I'm sorry, the authoritarian movement have become that they've twisted. Like you said something earlier, like, well, conservative, we want conservative people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, conservative meant they don't do crazy shit right now. It's something else. Um, the, the right, especially in this moment, has really twisted our values that you swore an oath to, you know, open a poll and defend the Constitution, all enemies, foreign, domestic. They both thought they were fighting enemies, uh, uh, domestic enemies that day, um, and neither thought they were the bad guy, which is a shocking, shocking twist of the, the thing you and I served, because um, we both served a similar oath, you know, for our adult lives. I did 22, you did 28. Um, at the same time, we see, I, I mean, for me, I, I did a bit of a rant yesterday on the Midas Touch Network about... Don Jr. comes out, fucking cokehead, um, <laughs> comes out with a video, right? I think I sent it to you because I was like, dude, you got to talk. You're like, no, I'm not talking about this. Like, no, you're talking about it, bro. <laughs> I got bad news. You're on my show now. Um, yeah, you know, know. So, but what's shocking to me is we have the son of a former president. We've got Margie Taylor Greene, the fucking nut job from Georgia, actually coming out and saying that Tessiera is, is, is a hero, that Jack is the good, you know, he, he may have prevented World War III. And, and Alexander Vindman, my friend Alexander, who's been on the show, and Rachel, by the way, dear friends of mine have been on the show. We're all, we're, we're heroes for doing the exact same thing. Of course, you and I know they're totally different. It, does it, I mean, it, it does it infuriate you to see leaders, politicians, and others essentially fucking horny for <laughs> Vladimir Putin, basically. I mean, I mean, it's got to shock you with somebody who served in Russia and seen the arc of what Vladimir Putin's become to see someone of that stature and, and American leaders essentially supporting his efforts and supporting someone who's a traitor to the United States. I mean, how does that make you feel? And, and are you pissed off? I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pissed off, yeah, obviously. Pissed you, off. Know? Um, you know, a lot of it sort of comes back to the, the sad and ugly fact that and a lot of this is Trump, but Trump obviously was grabbing onto something that already existed right. out there. He's a master of that, right? That's his thing, right? You and this, there's there's a version of this on the on the far left too, that your political enemies, the people you disagree with in the United States, are are your real enemies, and therefore anything you do to to damage them, to to go against them, is righteous because they're the enemies, right? But our real enemies are foreign enemies. They're not people inside our own country. I mean, Republicans and Democrats and everybody should be trying to make for a strong, healthy, economically pros prosperous United States. We should be, uh, you know, Republicans who I disagree with on things should not be my enemies. My, my enemies are the people who want to destroy this country. Right. And Vladimir Putin, people are acting as if there's he's some kind of, uh, yeah, I understand that. He is an enemy of this country. He has worked his entire life to destroy the West, to destroy the United States. He hates the West. This notion that because he's been Donald Trump likes him and stuff, that that makes him a good guy. He hates Donald Trump. He, he supports Donald Trump because Donald Trump is the chaos candidate. He wants to weaken the United States. Therefore, 
He's he, he will do anything to pro, to provoke and push information into our tribal nature so that we attack each other. And it doesn't just happen in the United States. It happens in in Europe and other Western countries. This is all part of a game that the Russians have been using forever of subversion and sabotage and disinformation and assassinating their enemies and all of these type of things. So for any American to think that that person is actually an ally of theirs is is completely beyond the pale. Um, you know, Vladimir Putin is is committing a murderous, murderous war against people in in Europe right now, and he's not he's not your political ally. No. <laughs> and it's just it's just it's just awful to see that. And and it's one thing you know to say because Donald Trump says it's good, and the and the Democrats are supporting Ukraine, I therefore should support the other side. That's not good civic pro American. Behavior, and I see it on the on the left. These we talk about Glenn, Glenn Greenwald and all these other kind of guys that have gone in their own weird way to be pro Putin or, yeah. or to be whatever, because they have spent so much time in their lives as critics of the United States. Yeah, they criticize, they're angry, they've been up, uh, of things, and and legitimate criticism is is great. That should be what what's going on. But they've they've become so that almost instinctively. Anything the Americans do must be evil. Therefore, the other side must be right. Right. And the Russians have been playing this game for decades and decades before, you know, before World War II and everything. They were using, you know, pro-communist people in the West who were sort of, you know, who were against their own governments. Right. They were supporting them. And those people were being becoming pro-Soviet. While at the same time, they were high, the Soviets and Russians were hiding that they were just murdering, mass murdering their own people. But there was Americans and Westerners who were, were talking about, oh, this is the future, and these are these are great people because they are being lied to. And the Russians know how to do the disinformation lying game. Vladimir Putin knows that the right wing likes things. So he's spread this version of he's anti-immigrant, he's anti-gay, um, he's Christian. Christian yep. He's, you know, he sent Marie Bettina. Here's a suggest they're sort of pro-gun. Right. And I lived in Russia. They are not. <laughs> They are Orthodox Christian. They're against all other Christian sects. They are anti-immigrant. They hate. They are anti-gay. That's for sure. Um, but the the sense that they are compatible with American right-wing people is crazy. It's not a gun culture there. Um, you know they, yeah, and they hate Americans. So yeah, it's it's just it's just really really sad. Like yeah. we can disagree with each other politically without supporting our enemies our enemies and, and you know you and i we have a history we have fighting authoritarian religious zealots overseas that was our lives you lived overseas i was in the military i did i did four combat tours you know and all of them in iraq i keep finding myself back in iraq it seems like and there was a great piece in washington post today uh calling for president biden the democratic leadership in washington to do more to push back against this rising extremism i've written the same i wrote a piece last week about truman uh in the truman commission if you remember from your history of the of of that we know what we know Harry Truman really I'm a Missourian so I know him but because of the Truman committee where he stood up and said hey look we got to fight this war better it's 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 not disloyal to say you know we're wasting billions of dollars I think I think there was a calculation he saved us 332 billion dollars in today's dollars in what he mm-hmm. did with the 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 fighting government waste and abuse and the and so a lot of us are saying, well, I do support passionately Mr. Biden I'm glad he got elected we you and I are part of a, a coalition of organizations that helped that um, do you think there's a there's do you think there's a danger from your experience working overseas against these despots against 
these zealots against Vladimir Putin directly as an agent of the CIA. Is there a danger here of not addressing this rising extremism? I mean, you've seen it yourself in those countries, I bet. And I won't get into your secret life, but but I'm sure you sat back and, and observed and reported on rising extremism in other countries. Do you do you take pause here in America, John? I mean, you're you're watching it yourself as a private citizen as someone with your experience, should we be worried? And, 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 and like many of us say, shouldn't there be more being done to actually fight it? It's not a culture war, right? You just named all the things that Vladimir Putin stands for. Those aren't culture war. Those are his fucking things. So how do you as a CIA just say, shit, man, we got to <laughs> fight here. How do you feel about that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time actually in the Balkans in Yugoslavia and Serbia. I lived over there for a number of years. Thought. In some ways, it, it, it's really sad to see some of the similarities. And so you know what? What eventually led to just a brutal, nasty, murderous civil war wow. in, in the former Yugoslavia. You know, we saw sort of despots like like uh, Slobodan Milosevic using television and and using you know ethnic slurs against other people living in 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 his space against each other. So there became a very strong rural urban divide in that country. So I lived in Belgrade and in, in Yugoslavia, and people there were pretty. They traveled. They were pretty open. They pretty. They understood. They they could criticize the regime, but people outside in the countryside were getting sort of a whole different message. And they were, they were a majority of the people, and so they were getting the pro-government, pro-Milosevic sort of anti-Croat, anti-Bosnian, anti-American, anti-Western view. And 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 they, they actually you know stoked anger against their own citizens, so they would fight each other. And and we're seeing that. Here, you know, politicians for for immediate political benefit are stoking the irrational fears of their supporters to attack other Americans, and it's it's incredibly dangerous. And and per, yes, of course, I support President Biden in the sense that he is a normal, pro-American, thoughtful, serious person who lets our institutions work. That he, yeah. you know, but is he up to the task? in terms of dealing with sort of the anti-democratic things that are happening now, I, I don't know. This is a serious, serious way. He's, a, he's an, you know, I want to say, I want to pretend like he's, you know, totally together and doing these, but he is an old, much older person. He sort of lives through, you know, his experience is, is animating him. And this yeah. is a different time. I mean, and you can talk about the Putin and, and Russia stuff, previous administrations, democratic administrations mishandled, Putin and you know support were did not push back and we needed to push back and in many ways our, our policies over numerous administrations led to this place where we are today yeah. so i can be very critical of of the obama and biden administration how they dealt with russia even though thank god biden's in office and not yeah. trump yeah um so there are you know legitimate issues and as americans we should be asking a lot of our of our leaders to to deal with these things it's a really complex and difficult world and it's made worse by our, our, our tribal politics at home. And, you know, there's no one person, there's no one politician that, that has the capability to fix it all. Um, but so, so I, so being critical of the administration for maybe not dealing with some of these things, you know, he grew up in the Senate 40, 50 years, you know, he wants yeah. to get along with the other side so that they can make, because essentially governing is compromise, right? Yeah. So if both sides stay at their far fringes, nothing gets done. There's no legislation. There's no governing. 
you need to work with your person on the other side to create compromise, to get things done. And that's his sort of instinct. But yeah. does that instinct, is that, is that the place we're in? Is there compromise with some of these sort of, you know, Republicans who have become authoritarians, right? You know, I mean, there is the Romneys and the, and the Cheneys and others of the world that are out there that are still conservative Republicans who care about the country, but they're, but they're not in the ascendancy. No, no. And, and, and you see, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the tape from Tennessee, uh, the Tennessee holler, God bless them. Uh, I got the tape of the Republican caucus meeting. It's in my, it's in my sub stack. <laughs> you have to post the FB one without substack.com. Um, in the Substack, I talk about you know, these tapes and, and, and shocking to hear what they're saying behind these closed doors. And, and one of the Tennessee state legislators was saying very clearly his big his big theme and his yelling at his colleagues was, you know, we're in a fight for the republic. You know, the left wants Tennessee. The left wants Tennessee. And we're fighting for the republic here in Nashville. It's like it was this it was it was for me as a soldier who's fought, you know, in Iraq against a nationalistic leader, you know, just Saddam Hussein, it, it made me especially cold hearted, right? It, it ran a chill down my spine because these are the words of the people who are willing to do anything for their political agenda. They're like going back to what you just said, the compromise. I can't compromise with someone who doesn't think my transgender nephew or niece should live, right? Mm-hmm. Had, should have healthcare. I can't compromise with someone who thinks it's okay if my wife dies from a, 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 mis- a pregnancy that goes south as long as it saves fetuses, uh, you know, uh, somebody else's fetus, right? I can't compromise. And when you hear the voice of someone who literally feels like their work in a fucking state legislature in fucking Tennessee is, <laughs> you know, is that point where he literally is the, using the words of violence, if you will, right? And I, I th- you know, that's what shocks me, right? And, and so- Where did they get that idea? Well, how is it possible that you can look at Joe Biden Right. He's the most centrist, <laughs> right. compromising, right. non-radical kind of politician you can imagine and convince yourself yeah. that he's a radical who wants to somehow destroy the United States and destroy everything you've come to view. I mean, have we been indoctrinated through sort of Fox News and others through decades and decades so that we're so skewed? Yes. Or do you, <laughs> do you, do you believe this or is this just your way of of getting what you want politically. It, it, it's sort of, it's crazy. Like it is. The, some of the things that are so animating and so angering to Republicans, some, some that are willing to, you know, talk about violence and things, wokeism and all right. that stuff. Is that really a problem? Like, you know, or you, you hear people in, in country places where there's no immigrants talking about how awful and immigrants are taking everything. You're like, well, I mean, there there are real issues and real problems, but they're not affecting your day to day life. If you right. listen to some Republicans, they talk about how the country's falling apart. Well, I walk out every day. The country is essentially the same as it was three or four years. I that my stores are the same. Things are going the same. Yep. But somehow, in your mind, you've created that like the day that Donald Trump left, a hellscape started, right? right? Or you know, and the day he comes back in, it's all wonderful. Like. Uh, or the idea, know, the idea in this case, not, politics is not life. No, and in this case. What were what were what were these protests about in Tennessee? Because kids are getting fucking slaughtered in schools. Three nine year olds were murdered in their classroom by a, a semi-automatic weapon. The the shooter fired a hundred and fifty two rounds before the good guys with guns got there. Okay, and the kids are mad and they protested. They use their First Amendment rights to petition their government, and that 
was there what they construed to be an assault on them and assault in their mm-hmm. values. I mean, it, you're right. I do. I, I would say I, I think I answer your question. I'm not supposed to do this. To the host. I am. But I, I do think it's the propaganda. I, I see it here in Missouri. I'm a red state guy. Um, and, and I see it here where they just really do believe that we're eating babies. And I, I, it's just, you, I talk to very level-headed people and I'm, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you insane? Like, <laughs> none of that's true. And, um, it does worry me. And for you and I, I think as national security professionals in our past lives, uh, you still are, frankly, um, it, it, it does cause me great concern. And I do criticize my government, unfortunately. And I am, I do support them. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not one of those linker project guys that tries to pretend he's still a Republican. Eh, that ain't me, bro. I quit that shit. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a Democrat tried and true, but by the same token, I desperately want my government to fight. I desperately want the recognition that what they call culture war issues, book banning, guns, transgender rights, healthcare for pregnant women, are life and death issues. And you, man, the Balkans, you get it. You saw how these issues became death, real wars. Uh, a culture war can become a real war very quickly. Yes. And in many ways, it's hard to argue it's not. When a young boy, a 16-year-old boy knocks on the wrong door and takes a bullet to the head, I think we're there, right? I mean, I think what I saw in the Balkans <laughs> and what I'm seeing here, there's a real power from believing you're a victim. Ah. If you think you're a victim, you can do anything to sort of respond to that, you know? So, the, and you see that amongst people. I saw that in the same thing in the Balkans, like they were, you know, the Serbs who were the, were the plurality or the majority of people there and were sort of politically the most powerful group amongst right. the ethnic groups, the Slovenes and the Croats and the Bosnians and the and what have you, and the Kosovar Albanians and others. Those groups were smaller, and they, they felt a little bit threatened by the Serbs. But what Milosevic did is he told his own people, who were the powerful people, you're the victims, they're coming for you. You know, you need to stand up for yourself, you need to fight for yourself. And when those people did, when the more powerful groups started fighting, it scared the hell out of the minority groups. And there's some of that in the United States. What's happened is white Christian Americans have somehow convinced themselves yeah. that they're the victims, that people are coming for Christianity. They're coming for their way of their life, that, that, that there's a threat to them. And therefore, I'm a victim. My people are victims, and we need to fight. And if, you, if you're a victim, it gives you this righteous authority to do things and we got to get off of that soapbox because, you know, if, you know, some transgender person selling beer, you know, I don't, I, I'm very centrist. I'm an old American white guy. Like, I'm not real comfortable with all that stuff, but, <laughs> but it doesn't affect my life. It's fine. You know, they should be get as much support for, for their rights and this kind of stuff. I don't need to pretend like I love it or anything, but it's not important to me in my day to day life. I shouldn't, I don't need to get angry about other people's things. I should Freedom. focus on, you know, what's important for fun of me. But if you take that as that, that one silly thing is an, is an attack on my people. I therefore need to respond. You're, it's very, very dangerous. And so the, the victimhood thing has got, you know, is really powerful. And if bad actor politicians and people like DeSantis and Trump, Trump does it instinctively. He's like yeah. this feral instinct. He doesn't even know what he's doing. I think, but yeah, Others like Hawley and your state and and Santos, these people, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And they know, you know, if you make people feel like others are threatening you, then 
then all bets are off. And going back, um, I had an organization I still do technically called the Beer Hall Project. And our focus with the Beer Hall Project was the rise of Nazi Germany, uh, the Beer Hall Pooch. And if you know that they, you know, they, they, the, the beer hall pooch, of course, they encouraged violence. That was the whole point. Violence between the, oh, the socialists are in the streets, <laughs> you know, and they rode that violence. And the beer hall push wasn't the end of Hitler's rise. It should have been. He briefly went to jail and he wrote Mein Kampf. And then 10 years later, he's the chancellor. Uh, and we know how that ended. So, John, what a great conversation. I, I'm not going to keep you much longer. What a great, I really appreciate your time, your perspective. And, and then that last note, I was thinking as you were talking, and we have to think about what you just said, that silly little one Instagram post about Bud Light. I don't know if you saw the video. There's a young, some young guy, some dude in fucking Walmart destroyed the beer display of Bud Light and Bush Light, threw it all out and stamped on it because he was yeah, so, angry. Yeah. I mean, there's a straight line. It's a straight line. And, and those who encourage well, this, those who encourage this are going to deny that. Social media now puts things in front of us. Like, yeah. So when I was growing up, People were doing dumb shit that I didn't like. Around the <laughs> I lived it. it. it didn't show I don't know how I survived. Social school. media yeah. figures out what makes you angry, which therefore you want to see. And then, so you see something like that and you take it somehow as this is personally has something to do with you. Right. As like, and so it creates this sort of sense of anger and injustice. And like, there's always nut jobs out there. And there's always people saying horrible things. That doesn't necessarily mean knowledge masses of people are bad or believe in these things, but somehow we, we in the okay. anger sells and anger sells politics and, and bad actor politicians are using it for their own purpose. And, and I, and I think someday they're going to realize how awful the, the consequences can be of, of, of misusing that. Well, you've seen it, right? You said that you were in the Balkans. <laughs> I've seen it. I was in Iraq. We do know what happens. This Saddam Hussein did the same thing with the Shia and the Sunni and the Kurds, mm -hmm. right? Oh, you play them against yeah. each other. The Sunnis are always the victims, and and it led to it led to unrest and murder, um, slaughter. Um, we do know people like me. It's funny. That's why we talk about the gun stuff for me. And then I'll end this. Is I, I lived in Baghdad. I know what a gun culture is like. Okay, people just fucking die. A lot of fucking people die, and I don't want to live in a place where I have to worry about dying in the streets because you're fucking gun. So. If you, John. if you take away a lot of the, the names and specific stuff, some of the things that these people are pushing for is Somalia. So like right. Somalia is exactly nobody bothers you. You all have guns. You can shoot each other. No one bothers you. can shoot. Like, come on. Like we're the United States. We, we have to live amongst each other. We need to work together. There's going to be stuff. Again, governing is compromised. We created a system that, yeah, you're not going to always get everything you like, but you have freedom to essentially create a world for yourself. It's we're the richest and most powerful country in the history of the world. And everybody's whining. Stop it. I agree, John. Man, thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining the show. It's a wonderful <laughs> time. I, I enjoy spending time with you. I look forward to spending some time again with you. Carry on what you're doing. We're in the fight for our country, and I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Man, great talk. You know, I was talking, uh, as, as John was leaving, I was thinking about a story I tell often. I've, and maybe you've heard it. I don't know. So I served in Iraq. Uh, I was a... Uh, did civil affairs and amongst my, my many jobs. And part of my job was to work with the local civilians in, in the area. And one day I was sitting with my favorite Sheikh, Dr. Muhammad, who's a story maybe you'll tell. Actually, hopefully I'm in a book soon, as a matter of fact. But I was sitting with Dr. Muhammad in his village, in his little meeting room. We had lunch, you know, sheep on big platters. And we were talking about democracy and freedom. And the differences between American freedom and at that moment in 2003, after the fall of Saddam, after 30 years, freedom in Iraq. 
And something Dr. Muhammad said has stuck with me to this day. And it's something that animates me in this moment. And that was this. He said, Adrian Wellman, you need to understand that freedom in America means that you can vote for who you want and you can drive about the country all you want and you can do, you can live your life without, you know, and, and make money and, and live your life with, with, with some freedom. In Iraq right now, freedom in Iraq means you stole my sheep. Boom, I kill you. That's the difference between freedom in a, a democracy, a capitalist society, and one that's been governed by a dictator and an authoritarian for 30 years. And I fear, I fear for our nation when a 16-year-old young man who knocks on a door, the wrong door, gets shot in the head because the 84-year-old fool was scared. But what's more terrifying is there was a question or not whether the 84-year-old man actually committed a crime because Republicans have created laws that allow him to shoot someone and all he's got to do is say he was fucking scared. That ain't far from where I sat in that dusty, dirty mud house in northern Iraq. And that should give every American pause. It does me. So when people ask me why I'm so obsessed about what I do and why I have such a loud voice and why I take the shots to the face that, that comes with, that's why. Because you know why? I've seen the bodies on the side of the road. And I know where this goes. So, food for thought as we go away. With that, as you can see, we're now in the Midas Touch Network. I am so excited to join their lineup of incredible host my friend jason kander is on here ken harbaugh is on here of course politics girl in texas i i mean you know the mysels brothers have been so good to me and such good friends we fought in the this battle for our country for three years together it's such an honor or privilege to join them if you're new and finding our show for the first time our past episodes are available on democracy podcast on youtube it's called on democracy podcast is our channel on youtube um, we've got 28 or 30 episodes there, plus on audio, all your audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon. We are freaking everywhere. We don't mess around. We put it everywhere. Um, we're really excited. I, we're also really excited about our Substack community, which is growing beautifully. The address is on screen. It's fpwellman.substack.com, fpwellman.substack.com. You can join for free. You We'll be dropping a paywall soon. It's been going for about a month. But if you really want, I would just love you to join that. I'd, I'd really be honored if you join as a paid subscriber. And I think you'll be glad you did. We're going to have some really special stuff on there for that. So it's on, on democracy for that. It's the uh, fpwellman.substack.com. In the meantime, you can find me online always, as you know, at fpwellman. If you follow me on Twitter, at fpwellman in, uh, official for your Instagram. I just had a bunch of Instagram hits. We did a really fun short for our friends at Myers Touch. We'll be doing a lot more of those because we had a good time doing it. I get to cuss. They bleep it, but I get to cuss. <laughs> uh, so I hope you'll tell your friends about the show. You'll subscribe on all your favorite platforms. You'll look for us on Midas Touch every Friday night right now. Um, we're just thrilled to be a part of this movement. I'm so happy to have you. So happy to have so many new viewers and guests to join our show. And I hope you're enjoying it. We'll enjoy more. We've got some incredible guests coming up. You're just going to love what we've got coming. As always, I want to mention my friends at Vi Media here at the end. I'm in a studio called Half Coast Studios here in Creevecore, Missouri. It's run by uh, Vi Media. They're a wonderful group of companies, uh, digital, your digital marketing firm to help you wherever you are in the country. It's vie.media. They're a great organization. If you're looking for a digital marketing firm that can really think like you do 
operate for small business and large business alike and check them out. They've been a great friend to me in the show as I've built this and now we're on the Midas Touch together. So thank you for all that. In the meantime, keep up the fight. You know, it's it's easy for us to be angry. There's some tough stuff we have to talk about. There's easy stuff for even we have to talk about our own side sometimes in, in uncomfortable ways. But the key here is that we don't just fight with anger. We fight with we fight with direction and earnestness and conviction. And as I cast last week said, we have to face the brutal facts that we are in a very difficult moment in our country, but we have to have unwavering faith that we will prevail, that right matters here. Right still matters. Like my friend Alex Vim in his book, right matters. And I think if you believe that, we can win this thing. Thanks for joining the show. Again, I'm Fred Wellman. We'll see you next week.